Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Toyota of Brookhaven has been voted best new car dealership in Southwest Mississippi four years in a row. Come see the difference. Exit 40 Brookhaven or online at toyotabrookhaven.com. Great service, great savings. At Toyota of Brookhaven, we deliver. He's the former president and publisher of the Sun Herald, and now he's on the radio. Welcome to Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome to Coast View, the show that every single day celebrates the men and women who are making Coast of Mississippi and Mississippi for that matter. Such a great place to live, work, and play. I've got one quick thing to share with you, and then we'll go straight to our guest who's going to be Austin Golding. And we're going to talk about sort of the the, um, the energy policy and what's the latest in his business and all that. We'll go there in just a second. I was I was uh, on social media and I ran across on Instagram a reel. And every now and then you get these great nuggets in looking at these reels. And this particular one came from a, um, a company by the name of Genius Network. And and in this particular reel, there was an older gentleman who had built a, a multi-million dollar company, and he was talking about the things he learned when he sat down with his multi-million dollar sales producers in his company. What did he learn? So he brought them all together, and he learned a lot, a lot of the things that you would expect, but he came down to there were three common characteristics of the people who were producing multi-million dollar sales, and he came to refer to them as AMC, AMC. The the A, incidentally, uh, means attitude, stands for attitude. So the, the, the top producers in this company had a great attitude. And they had a, about themselves, about their company, about what they were doing, and it and it just it prevailing in everything that they did. Um, the M standard st- stood for motivation, and it's essentially that these people are motivated, and they have a motivation for their company, and they're and they're and you can motivate them. You know, they're they're motivatable, uh, but they believe in what they're doing and they're motivated by what they're doing. And then the C in the AMC stands for commitment. You know, a lot of employees work at companies, but they're not really committed. And to be successful in sales, you have to be committed not only to what you're doing, but the products that you sell. How committed are you? How motivated are you to stay committed? And uh, are you willing to constantly learn and make it better? But but the successful salespeople in their company, in his company, had AMC, attitude, motivation, and commitment. And if you go back in my career as a CEO, I could I could apply those same uh, three words to the people who were successful in my organizations. Uh, very much so, they possess this AMC. Anyway, I thought you would enjoy hearing that. I, I was uh, I was really inspired by it when I saw it myself. Okay, let's move now to my friend Austin Golding. He's the president and CEO of Golding Barge Line. And uh, they do incredibly important work. They're a family-owned business, and he's become a regular here on Co- on uh, Coast View. But anyway, before we go any further, let me say good morning to you, Austin. How you doing, my friend? Uh, good morning. Doing really, really well. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. It's good to see you. Listen, uh, we're going to come back to this in a second, as you and I uh, tend to lament. You know, Miss America needs an energy policy that is something we can all sign, a, sign up for. I have a great way to lead into that conversation. I've, actually, I pulled a series of quotes about energy policy. And in reading these quotes, I'll read a couple to you. It really shows how 
confused we are as a nation about how we're going to get from where we are now to our sustainable future. But before we go any further, why don't we do, we're going to do two things before we start. I want to, I want to remind people about this unique company that you have and what you do on the inland waterways of America. And then, you know, tell us how you're doing. Yeah. So what we do, uh, we take energy products, liquid energy products, gasoline, diesel, jet fuel, and the, and the products that go into making those uh, all over the country by barge. So we either take them from facility to facility, but they're in a process to make a finished product, or we take that finished product and we take it to market, to a rail terminal, to a truck terminal, to a tank field, or to a ship to be exported. And so we're the really the Uber for big oil to move their products around the country by barge. We also move a little rock for a Mississippi company, Warren Paving, uh, that's got a big presence there on the coast. Stephen Warren, I know, is a a very active citizen, and his company really puts a lot back into the community down there. Uh, So we're happy to be moving Mississippi product with Mississippi companies. But most of our customers are major oil companies that are multinational, and they have us plugged into a very small part of their overall supply chain. But we're a key part of either the domestic production of those products or the export of those products from the Gulf Coast area. And Austin, you and I have talked about this before, but I think it's helpful for people who have not heard us talk before. One of the one of the things that, that I remind people of here in coastal Mississippi all of the time, and that is that coastal Mississippi is an economic engine that drives the state of Mississippi with Stennis and the blue chip industries that are part of Stennis on, in Hancock County. And then, of course, Ingalls and Chevron in Jackson County, those being the bookends with, with gaming and hospitality and all this other stuff happening in between. But when you think about Chevron... It's, uh, it's something that Jerry St. Pay said on one of my shows and uh, in the early days of Coast View, and I have repeated it often, and that is that we can't get complacent. We can't always assume that Ingalls is always going to be there, that Chevron is always going to be there, that we've got to work hard to, to make sure we're supporting that industry the way we should. But, you know, I want you to speak to the strategic importance of the Chevron refinery to this nation and the kind of work that you're doing. And the products that you're bringing are not just domestically used. Talk about that for a second so people can understand sort of the scope of your involvement with Chevron. Sure. I, I, I would say without a uh, shadow of a doubt, without even a debate, the Chevron refinery is one of the most important refineries in the entire country and is the most important refinery in our geographic area and is way bigger than people realize in the grand scheme of things. Uh, you're talking about a, a, a refinery that, if I'm correct, I think consumes 300 to 350,000 barrels a day, uh, which puts it in the top uh, spectrum of, of refineries in this hemisphere. Um, the products that we load out of that facility come uh, out and are bought and sold by, at least in our small world, by half a dozen other companies. Um, without giving away any of their trade secrets, it's all companies that you've heard of before. Um, it's major oil companies that it's cheaper to buy from Chevron uh, and get it to their users and because of Chevron's facility there and their geographic location and some of their other facilities, they may do a product trade where Chevron gets some product from one of their facilities and they get to exchange that with product out of Chevron and they just buy it straight up. Um, but they make so much product out of Chevron Pascagoula that Chevron doesn't, that's not all Chevron use out of there. They're actually selling it to the rest of the global energy economy 
Uh, I'm not sure how much of it gets exported versus how much of it's domestically used, but I can tell you that a lot of the product that we carry out of there goes into making plastic. Um, and it goes into plastics that are shipped all over the world uh, and pellet uh, material that's made and made that's used in manufacturing all over the world. But beyond just being a great employer, beyond Chevron being a really good company, and beyond the tenure of that facility there, the importance of it as it sits now is underappreciated, undervalued, uh, and is probably, uh, if I've heard the people at Chevron correct, going to be expanded on. Uh, I think when you hear about uh, people selling off refineries or people just getting taking refineries offline, that has a lot to do with the maintenance costs that are associated with the aging facility. Chevron's done a really good job of keeping that facility up to date, modern, and as a result, the operating cost on it is not going to uh, engineer its own obsolescence uh, over the next few years. It'll be a very, very, very viable uh, cog in the refinery scheme of this country, and we're lucky to have it where we have it. Well, as a former publisher of the Sun Herald, I've had the opportunity to visit with Chevron executives over over the course of many years, and have spent time at the refinery, sort of understanding what they do and touring the facility. I've uh, I've flown in a in a helicopter with Chevron executives over the, the northern Gulf of Mexico to try to get a sense of how that all looks. You know, the, the reality of it is that I fish a lot offshore. So, you know, when you go off of, uh, of Jackson County for people who have not been there and you see these super tankers come in and they download to what are very large uh, ships in order to get the, the product transported into the, the uh, uh, Chevron refinery. And you see the number of ships that are on standby waiting to get in there to download their products. And this is a constant flow. You realize that there is an enormous volume of oil going through that refinery. And, of course, after Hurricane Katrina, when it was momentarily impacted, we realized, I mean, it, 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 it affected the, na the, the national price of gas. It, it affected the, the availability of gas and other products in a very significant way. When you have a strategically important refinery like Chevron and you, and you take it offline for any moment of time, it's going to have a ripple effect beyond our wildest imagination. But that's the significance of, of the Chevron refinery. And you've had, you're in your family, have had this long association with them, bringing their products in, in inland waterways across the United States for many years, haven't you? Oh, yeah, for sure. And I'll, and I'll, I'll, I'll also tell you that uh, it was very hard to get into Chevron's uh, fold as a vendor. Um, they don't take the lowest bidder and shuck the highest bidder. They bet us, they come in and make sure that the way we're operating is, is to their best practice standard. They have a high safety uh, evaluation and a very high environmental impact evaluation when it comes to who they partner with. So we're, uh, it took us a while to get in there, but now that we're in there, we honor it by trying to, trying to comply with those standards, but it's a very, very strong partnership. Hey, when we come back with the president and CEO of Golding Barge Line, Austin um, uh, Golding, we're going to talk a little bit about the Mississippi River. Last time we talked, the, the water was down significantly. It's back up again. How does that feel? And then we'll kind of ease into a conversation about the latest with the energy policy. We'll see you after this. Listen live or on demand and watch episodes of Coast View on your laptop, desktop, or on your phone or tablet by going to supertalkmsgulfcoast.com. 
His love for the coast is why he's here. It's Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. I have my friend Austin Golding. He's become a really good friend to Coast View. He's the president and CEO of Golden Barge Line, family-owned business up in the Vicksburg area. And they do some really, really important work. And... Um, you know, we need a we need a company like theirs. You know, the truth is, as you and I were just chatting a little bit before we started the show, uh, you find yourself in a unique position because the barrier to entry into your world, if someone decided they wanted to get into this business, it's sort of like trying to start a refinery. It's very expensive and very difficult. Um, and as a result of that, you have you have good market share, but also you have a tremendous responsibility that goes with that, don't you? Absolutely. I mean, it's. It's a, a bit of a, a, an equation of risk. Uh, people that generally do the analysis about getting in our business, see the margin that we make on an average and go, I can do that with a lot less risk. I don't have to, I can make that kind of return without filling something full of gasoline and floating it down the Mississippi River with people riding it. Um, you know, and they do. And so a lot of our competition are generational businesses that have the inherent tolerance for the risk associated with our business built into their DNA, or they're able to manage it with that risk understood. And the talent that rides the boats works for that group because they know that family and there's a lot of trust. And then the customers they work for know that group and know that there's a lot of trust and responsibility associated with that group coming and going is going to cost you a lot of mariners and it's going to cost you a lot of major oil relationships because uh, come lately doesn't do much for people when the amount of risk that we're uh, assuming and you know, responsible for can make or break an industry. I think we all saw what happened with Norfolk Southern. Uh, my industry is having uh, huddle ups scheduled uh, just about every week trying to figure out uh, lessons learned from that incident and that responsibility that you and I both know when people talk about that industry and that accident, it wasn't Norfolk Southern. It was the rail industry had that incident and the the chemical industry had that incident. And so we are a steward of not just GBL and Golden Barge Lines brand. Uh, we're, we're watching out for the brand for our whole mode of transportation and the, the, the uh, I guess you could say the, 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 uh, you know, the entire worldview of, of the products we care about how dangerous they are versus how beneficial they are. And is this worth it? As long as we keep it in the barge, uh, that viability is never questioned. And the, the amount of impact it has it out, always outweighs the risk if we manage it properly. You know, Austin, it's so interesting to see it from that perspective. And the Northrop Southern uh, issue recently is a, is a good example of what could be. Um, I was a operations director for the Sun-Herald early in my career, and I had responsibilities for the relationship with MDEQ and EPA. We had, we had tremendous responsibilities regarding all of that, and I, and I know what it looked like. The man, I know what the manuals looked like. I know what the, uh, what the training requirements looked like, at least as it related to my world. I can right. only imagine, I can only imagine what that looks like in your world. Because every time you get a new data point, a new data, they say, uh-oh, we need to go look at this a little closer. We need to go look at that a little closer. It can change your world in a moment's notice. It can. And, and the, the, guide, the guide lights that our major customers have given us have allowed us to scale. We couldn't have grown and managed the risk that we have without their guidance. 
the auditors hate when I use the word consulting, but uh, our company culture is to use an audit as a consulting session. And if they tell us they want it to look a certain way, it's probably not because they have a preference in font. It's probably because there's a lesson learned behind that that requirement. So we've been very open-armed, very open-minded, um, and uh, very uh, receptive towards best practices and and uh, policy around managing that risk. We, we know how to get it done. We weren't very good at showing our work for a long time. Now, yeah. uh, now we're a little bit better at that. You know, uh, I have uh, operated a boat in the lower Mississippi River uh, coming from my house across uh, Breton Sound into Baptiste Colet and into the Venice area and then south of Venice and over to Tiger Pass, et cetera. But, man, on a foggy day, (laughs) you got to know what you're doing. And sometimes you can do everything right and somebody else just doesn't know what they're doing. So it's 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 a tenuous, careful thing you have to do, isn't it? It is, and, and you know, for, for your audience, uh, the majority of our company is in the Gulf Coast area. Um, we have about a quarter of our company is between New Orleans and Panama City, Florida. Uh, it goes right in y'all's backyard. I was at eight to ten toes uh, any given day. And then we have a large group that runs between Brownsville, Texas, and Lake Charles, Louisiana. Um, and so managing the weather uh, is a key part of our brand and a key part not only of how our mariners trust our voyage plans, but also our customers. And as, as your audience knows, there's several days where I send an email out and says, we're not going anywhere for four or five days. You know, it, it's here we sit on Wednesday and we'll be moving on Sunday based yeah. on the forecast. And um that's a lot. I can get. I can have that conversation on the front end. That's a lot. That's a hard conversation, but that's a lot easier conversation than the call on Friday, where we, our toe is broken up and we have barges adrift in the Gulf and they're carrying hazardous cargo and we're chasing them down and the boats on ground and they got people in distress. I'll, I'll I'll make the call telling you I can't run and grip my teeth through that one before I have to pick the phone up at two in the morning and deal with deal with a, a real mess. Man, I get that so so significantly. Speaking of real mess, I bet you're thrilled that the Mississippi River is back up again. But that was a trying moment with the river down for so long, wasn't it? It was, you know. And Ricky, I, I know, I know um, what what you value and kind of what your audience values based on our previous conversations. It for sure was a was a challenge, but it also presented a hell of an opportunity for us. We have the ability to show people that this is why you hire a family owned small business is for these times, when you need the updates quicker, when you need the updates more accurate, when you need more tangible uh, relationships with the people that you need answers from now because your boss just called a meeting an hour from now and he wants to know when the barges are moving. Uh, When our competition had to meet to meet to figure out when that meeting was going to be, we were eating their lunch. So we turned over information a lot faster, and the information we turned over was a little more flexible than the big companies. The big companies... They manage their their risk around their least capable boat and their least capable mariner. Uh, I'll move that least capable boat and I'll move that mariner to make room for a more capable one and then craft my policy around what I've created at that point. So um, it created a great opportunity for us to show how nimble and responsive we can be in a pinch uh, because if the river flows normal all the time, people get really price addicted. And yeah. I'm never going to win in that world. So if we can take it from a price discussion to a service discussion, sometimes a, a situation like that shines a light on us. I had a I had a great conversation 
with uh, with uh, uh, Andy Gibson, you know, the Commissioner yeah. of Agriculture, and we were talking about farmers and how nimble they have to be and how responsive they have to be. And I mean, you, you, whatever you throw at them. And the way you said that a few minutes ago is the way, cause I, I spent a lot of time in the Mississippi Delta and I have some great farmer friends and they, they, they uh, farm thousands of acres is that this notion of risk and tolerance is built into their DNA. In a way, you're kind of like a farmer. You have yeah. to you, you, the, the 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 and natural elements of the of the day can control what happens in your company. And for example, what you did, and for people to understand this, you're, when you f- have a f- full barge uh, and you have a low Mississippi River, there's a chance you're not going to be able to get that barge down the river. So what right. you do is you put less product in those barge, and you have to tow more barges. And that's the way you deal with it. And you just have to be willing to turn on a dime and be innovative, don't you? You do. You do, for sure. And look, if our barges were as big as Andy Gibson's cowboy hat, we would, we would have, we'd be good to go. <laughs> we'd be carrying product all over the place. But, uh, no, I, I, absolutely. I mean, hey, look, you see a lot of generational farms. Uh, you see a lot of generational uh, towboat companies. And there's a number of financial factors that push it that way. But the risk that people are willing to manage and the fact that they've seen how it's done and they've had those conversations at the dinner table um, is a big part of what we do. Not you now the profitability of it and the, 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 the juice that's worth the squeeze is definitely another part of it. Uh, but you got to manage that too. the generational expansion of these businesses and the way the government taxes a generational business is a tough one when you own 10,000 acres or you own 30 towboats. Uh, you got to figure out how to how to create a handoff of that of that size business and those kind of hard assets. This isn't just a cash maker; it's a cash spender. Uh, so we got to figure out how to navigate the generational aspect of that. But then a quick note on your friend Andy: uh, we were we had a, a, some some crew members affected in Rolling Fork, just north of here, and um, we had multiple trips that that we went on with multiple team members carrying supplies. Uh, in and out of Rolling Fork, and I can tell you, Andy Gibson was there and he got his hands dirty. Uh, he was there helping, uh, and he wasn't taking photos, and he wasn't driving around. Uh, he was at the at the gym at Sharky Aquina Academy, handing out bottled water and Lysol wipes like everybody else. So, um, we definitely chided him and gave him a hard time about some of the aspects of his fashion choices. But the man's a good man, and he was he was willing to help a lot in a very very tough, difficult, emotional situation. And uh, I was proud to see it. Yeah, Austin, we actually talked about that for a good segment or more. Good. And I actually wrote a piece about it. I'll send you the, send you the piece that I wrote about. Well, what it, what it says about Mississippians in that moment, and uh, I'm glad to hear you say. I hope your team members are doing well. They are. So let, yeah. why don't we do this? We'll, we'll come back on the other side, and we'll talk a little bit more about the energy policy. We'll see you after this break. Subscribe for free to the Coast View Podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. He's the former president and publisher of the Sun-Herald, and now he's on the radio. Welcome to Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. 
Welcome back to Coast View. I have my friend Austin Golding, who is with Golding Barge Lines, the president and CEO of their family business. And I enjoy checking in with him. Been a real good friend to Coast View. Hey, listen, I don't want to zoom past this point that you said you had team members in Rolling Fork. And what what I and, and what you said about Andy Gibson, I appreciate it. But what you saw when you were there, though, is that Mississippians, when the going gets tough, the world gets small. Mississippians come to each other's aid. They they and it doesn't matter what race you are, where you came from, you are loved in this state, and it plays out in a very significant way after disaster in Mississippi. And the national narrative that too often is rooted in a very painful history of Mississippi doesn't isn't consistent with what you have. Observed when you were in Rolling Fork, but it's good to see Mississippians helping Mississippians, isn't it? It is, and you know, um, while I was very, very proud to see it when I was up there, my comment to a lot of people was, "There's still a lot of good left in the world." It's very disappointing that we don't have more leaders that can harness that good and spread that around, yeah. and try to find a way to market that and raise money through that. I mean, I got I left there frustrated to a certain degree that there's this much good in the world. And we're still focused on as much negativity as we are, um, you know, and it takes a town being flattened to bring us out of people. It shouldn't be like that. And, know. you know, I just I, I challenge our leaders to try to figure out a way to to tap into all that good and use that energy to move us forward instead of, uh, you know, going. I mean, if, if anybody had brought up any of the, the, the stuff that we argue over in Rolling Fork in the middle of that rubble, everybody would have rolled their eyes at them. That stuff's not <laughs> as important. And, uh, you know, we have a lot of pressing issues here in Mississippi that uh, whether you're in Rolling Fork picking up rubble from people whose lives have just been wiped away, whether you're on the Gulf Coast doing that after a hurricane, or whether you're doing that on the Mississippi River after a catastrophic flood, you see the same character in people. So I know it's consistent, and I know it exists. Um, and we got to tap into it big time in our in our organization here because we ask people to live on a boat together for a month at a time and do very dangerous work. They don't get to go home. They live in the same bunk as one another. They go home after after a month on the boat in the middle of the night when it's raining or sleeting and it's 30 degrees or 100 degrees. You don't care about all the politics and the background and the demographics that are supposedly supposed to keep you separate from other people or supposed to divide you from other people. You get you, you look at that person as a coworker and an ally. So um, we live it every day by asking people to live and work in the environment we are now. And, and I know it exists because I've seen it in moments of crisis that we've been involved in in Mississippi. And you're right. There's a lot of it here. That is that is beautiful and eloquently said. I agree completely. You know, the truth is that the polarizing ends on the political spectrum tend to de- define us and then social media takes that and divides us further. When most Americans are somewhere in the middle, that's the reality. Right. And most Americans are frustrated, frankly, that that the polarizing ends too often decide the agenda. And you're right. I mean, it is after disaster. And I've again, I've written about this. That the after disaster that we see, what's really in our heart and soul. You know what's really? I, I wish you. I wish we could harness this as, as a as a set of leaders in this state and focus more on solving problems. We would get so much more done. 
But, you know, to the politics of the day, often too, too often sort of rule the moment, unfortunately. Listen, uh, it's very frustrating, I know, to watch America's energy policy. As you've said before on the show, we probably need at least a couple of more refineries. Um, no one argues that we're going toward renewable energy. But the process to get there, there's so much disagreement. I was going to read some quotes, but I won't take the time to do that now just because we don't have the time. What's your latest thinking about where we are? So I think the big the big thing with our energy policy in this country that people are going to have to realize going forward is we are now the refinery uh, we are now the refinery for this hemisphere, and I think going forward as we've seen what's happened with Russia and China and that alliance, we are not going to produce as much energy for that part of the world. They're going to start partnering with each other, and we are going to have a new neighborhood where we make a lot of the energy not only for this country but also Central and South America as they emerge. And they are much farther away from an electric future and a renewable future than we are. So they are going to be more willing to, they're going to be more willing to pay more money for the same products we are. So we're not just refining products for the US anymore. We're doing it for this part of the world and this part of the world being this entire half of the world. Now the refinery capacities are you know right now everyone everybody's running their refineries wide open. Uh, they're in a profitable posture, but there's a huge debate around how much money can come out of public coffers into stuff that is oil and gas based. How much money the banks are going to lend private companies like me to build these assets that are supposed to be part of the supply chain that we all use. So if we're not updating this supply chain and we can easily see the demand going forward for not just the U.S., but for the emerging world and especially a lot of emerging economies in Central and South America, uh, if we don't encourage investment, uh, along with that demand, it's only going to get more expensive and it's only going to get less efficient. So, I mean, I, I I cringe when people look at oil and gas investment as a, as a step back. Uh, you know, we're going to be, and I know the game plan of this administration is to get energy costs, traditional energy costs high enough to where they actually compete with renewable costs. I mean, those that, that accepted. Uh, I think that we're all paying the cost for this tug of war that's going on in, in the back rooms of, um, of people that don't care how much they pay for gas and don't care how much it costs to heat their house. They just want the oil and gas gone and their new investment in renewables here today. Now, I, I, that's not the world we live in, but that's the world they want you to vote in and that's the world they want you to invest in. Uh, but the world we live in, oil and gas is going to be here for a lot long, a lot a longer time. The global market's changing to become more local, and the, the reliance on our refining capacity here in the U.S. Uh, has been bolstered and will be reinforced for a number of years to come. Those are just facts. That's, that's, that's the way you ought to be investing. Well, you mentioned the alliance between Russia and China, the war in, in Ukraine, and you and I have talked about this before. In fact, we had a whole show about the geopolitical right. situation and how the price of oil is not something that we determine, but it's determined on sort of the worldwide markets. But there probably has not been this much uneasiness on the on the world markets geopolitically in a long time. Which I think is why our partners are getting closer ge geographically to us. Uh, we're we're now sending a ton of diesel to Mexico. We're creating a, an entire ocean of products that are going to Brazil and Argentina and South America. They don't want to build their refining assets, and they can't get the capital to do it. We already have it. So 
the enemies that we're that we have around the world, halfway around the world, are going to have to find their own alliances to supply them as the politics are separating our ability to supply them. I personally would much rather do business with people on this side of the planet because I think we can, uh, as my one of my favorite economists, Peter Zeehan, said, uh, having a problem with China is like having a problem with your neighbor. They yeah. can shut the door and you never know what they're saying about you. Having a problem with Mexico is like having a problem at your dinner table. It's uncomfortable. You can't get away from it. It's right here. But you're going to have dinner again tomorrow night because you're both living in the same house. I'd rather have the dinner table argument than wonder what my neighbor's plotting against me. And I think that's the way we're shaping our future, especially our future energy economy in this part of the world. You know, what's so ironic, too, about about this sort of world market, particularly as it relates to refinery capacity and where it is, is this notion of environmental safeguards not being the same as as, as required on, on, uh, on America. Um, in fact, if we were to f- become truly energy independent where we have refinery capacity, that would uh, that that we, that we could take care of this hemisphere in the way that you're talking about and do it in an environmentally acceptable way. Uh, that's the future we should aspire to, isn't it? It is, and I, and I think you're going to see some of that uh, because it's a lot easier to expand or reinvent a refinery than it is to build a new one. And I think you're going to see people change refinery makeups uh, to be able to produce more finished product with less crude oil. The impact of that process on the on the environment will improve, and the combustible engine will continue to become more efficient also. So there are some quiet efficiencies going on that I think will allow the refining capacity to answer the need we have because it will be improved on and invested in, not reinvented, uh, and, and maybe not expanded into new footprints, but the existing footprint will be improved, and we'll all see a benefit from that if the policy supports that improvement. If the policy keeps supporting shutting these refineries off, making them too expensive to run, taxing the production side of them with environmental penalty, um, we're going to we're going to spite we're going to cut our nose off to spite our face. Uh, but if we make it easier for the facilities now to become more efficient and more environmentally friendly, they can answer the call we have at the marketplace. Uh, but the, it's a very very delicate balance. The second you start pressing on these on these guys, they'll shut it down and raise the price. Uh, so I think if you got to if you encourage them uh, and you make it profitable for them, they'll lean into that, too. Uh, they won't cut all the hay this 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 time in the past. They'll leave some. But, man, I tell you, if you if you threaten their existence, uh, they don't they don't come at you with much sympathy when it comes to pricing and, and their strategy reflects that. It is a, it's, it's a scary world we live in. I mean, again, every time you sort of peel back the layer of the onion, particularly as it relates to energy policy around the world, it's so darn complicated, man. And it's so geopolitically impacted. And again, the, the, the war in Ukraine, once again, shows us how these unique alliances are coming together and how oil is funding the war and oh my gosh man it's just a, it's, it's it's a very complicated thing that we that we are part of when you talk about energy policy but anyway we're out of time but listen Austin it has been a pleasure to catch up with you my friend as usual I always am very impressed with how how you know well read you are and I, I particularly appreciate your comments about the tornado aftermath and what you would have hoped that Mississippi would aspire to I thought you did a terrific job of thank stating you. that so thank you very much for sharing that 
And uh, anyway, have a good day, my friend. Hey, thank y'all and, and all my best to everybody on the coast. When we come back, Kyle's going to join me for a few minutes. We'll see you after this. Also, listen live to Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on your Amazon Alexa devices. Once you've enabled the skill, just say, Alexa, open Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast. This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. I really enjoyed that conversation with Austin Golding. Man, is he a smart young man. I, I really, really enjoy doing this show especially when I had the opportunity to spend time with people like Austin running this incredibly important business, strategically important to America, family business with all that responsibility. He's so well-read. In fact, he also has a tremendous heart. What he said about the aftermath of the tornado and his urging of state leaders, why can't we embrace that? I mean, I think that's such a great point. We are so we we're so our politics divide us. I wish we could come together. We can have different points of view about how we should get things done, but we can respect each other and have honest, open, respectful debate and seek the the solution to problems. And uh, we do we don't do that enough in a bipartisan way, and we should do that more. I think the aftermath of the tornadoes, as Austin pointed out, is a clarion call to challenge ourselves to to expect that of our leaders. Anyway, now we'll move on to uh, my friend, uh, Cal Curley, who we haven't visited with in a while. And uh, first of all, good morning, my friend. How you doing? Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm doing good. So look, Kyle's always here. He's running the show. He's talking to us during the breaks. We can always see him through the video monitor for the Facebook and YouTube audience. What you're seeing now is what you normally see. Uh, when uh, when we're doing our shows, so everybody has a g- growing and wonderful relationship with Kyle. He also has, I think that's a Shucker shirt that you have on. So not only does he do the music in the Superdome during Saints games, but he you know he's a he's got a lot of responsibilities related to the Shuckers. How, how's that going, incidentally? Well, it's uh, starting to pick up. We uh, have we hosted uh, PRC on Wednesday night. And uh, the the season four Shuckers gets underway Tuesday, April 11th. We'll uh, start with a bang, a six-game series. And I believe we're playing Pensacola. Not really sure. But uh, it looks like we have a pretty good uh, team. Um, we have the number, I want to say the number three prospect in the uh, Brewers organization on our team in uh, Churio. It looks to be uh, a very exciting uh, first half of the season. Now, I'm not sure if he'll be down too long. I, I would imagine if he starts with the uh, bat ablaze, if you will, he'll be moved up to Nashville pretty quick and maybe into the show by midsummer. Wow, that's incredible. It's always good to see. You know, we've had so many incredible players that have come through here and gone to the majors. And uh, so, if you if you love if you love baseball, it's a great opportunity to see some incredible prospects, isn't it? It really is, and you don't really even have to be a Brewers fan per se because we you, there's a lot of talent coming from other teams. The Braves, uh, in particular, we play the Mississippi Braves numerous times, and they're of course the Double A affiliate of the Atlanta Braves. So there's already a connection there with folks here, and then Pensacola and Chattanooga, the, all of these other teams. 
you know, you're bound to find some players that you're going to be rooting for, whether you're a Brewers fan, a Braves fan, a Cubs fan. Uh, let's see, the White Sox, maybe. The, the, some of these teams have changed affiliates uh, along the way, and it's hard to keep up sometimes. But, man, yeah. there's a lot of good talent that comes through. My uh, my cousin's son, or actually it's his grandson, who played. Now, her son played f- four years at Auburn and started every game. And then her his son played every single game as shortstop for, for Auburn. He now plays in the St. Louis Cardinal uh, you know, farm league. And, uh, you know, it'd be interesting to see how he does his dad. His dad actually all got one step from the majors and then ended up getting an opportunity to, to be a coach. And he played, he was a coach for 15 years, a batting coach and in, in the majors and had, man, he had a great run. I, I think I mentioned this too. They live, they live in, um, in the, in the, in the mountains outside of Birmingham and he built on one of the pieces of the property they own. They built this huge, like, uh, barn. It, it's a metal building, and I mean, it's out in the middle of nowhere. And people come from all over the country during the off season to get batting lessons from him. Inside this barn is all. I mean, it's, it's world class professional setup for you know batting cages and all of that. But it's man, people are baseball continues to do really well, doesn't it? It really does. And, you know, like I said, there's a lot of talent. There's a lot of players that uh, come up through high school and get into college, whether they're D1, D2. Some of them moved on to uh, Major League Farm, Major League uh, Baseball's farm teams. And you're right. They do. They come back and they hold uh, batting lessons, pitching lessons. There's a big bowl of talent here on the Gulf Coast that a lot of these upcoming kids can draw from. And it's really good to see that these players come back and uh, give back. Yeah, my grandson's, my grandson's, his father and his grandfather played uh, played baseball. In fact, you, as you may remember, Steve Azar and and my uh, son-in-law's father, Keith Williams, uh, were at Delta State this, at the same time, and he was the quarterback. My my Keith was the quarterback for the Delta State football team, and he and he and Steve Azar became very very close during that time, but. Um, my grandson plays baseball, and it's fun watching them. You know, he's very young, but already you can see that he's got a lot of the characteristics of of, uh, of a son and grandson of someone who play of, of two people who played a lot of baseball. And then your your son's you know engaged as well. I mean, you're you've got in when when you have time. I don't know how you find the time. You're you're engaged in, in ball with your son as well, aren't you? Yeah, he's a freshman at West Harrison and playing on the varsity team and. We got about 20 seconds left, but yeah, it, it's, you know, it's never ending. You know, you, you get him off the field and he's our, he's still talking about baseball. He's talking about what he can do and how to get better and just practice. And yeah, it's a full 24 7 mindset for him. Fun, fun. Hey, we should check in more often and we will for sure. This has been my friend Cal Curley, producer of Coast View. Have a great day and we will see you tomorrow. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.